It's a delight to be here. What, isn't it? What a wonderful time of worship we have had together, and what a joy it is to celebrate in the way that we have, to celebrate in prayer, to celebrate in baptism, to celebrate in song. We have so many reasons to rejoice in the Lord and uh, so thankful for Him. And as we continue to do so, let's direct our attention to God's Word. And so if you have a copy of uh, the Bible here, I would invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43. And uh, we have been in uh, the book of Isaiah for the past couple of weeks, taking what we have referred to as a road trip through the book of Isaiah have seen some amazing things about the grandeur of the glory of God and catched glimpses of His glory and seen all the ways in which this connects to our day-to-day life. And uh, today we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 43. And so really what we're doing is we're sort of bringing this road trip to its conclusion. And as you think about road trips and you think about they all have to come to an end. There come times where, you know, you get to go on on an amazing vacation and you enjoy it and then you realize i got to get back to reality. And you start to think about all of what that has to mean, right? All the details of the daily minutiae. And so, in, in the, really, in the process of doing that, there's a lot of fear that's associated with returning to reality. What's it going to be like when I go back? How are these things that I have learned going to make a difference in how I function in my day-to-day life? How is the glory of God going to help me navigate daily life? And really, as we think about our own lives and we think about how quickly everything can change, how fast everything can go from beholding the grandeur of the glory of God to turning around and facing what feels like a sudden loss and what very well may be. How do we navigate this? How do we face reality unafraid? Well, I invite you to grab your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, you're welcome to grab one out of the pew rack in front of you. Turn to Isaiah chapter 43, and when you go home, you can take that Bible with you. It's our gift to you. But read with me, if you will, as we think about facing reality unafraid, on what basis, given what we've already learned and given what we are going to learn right here, on what basis do we face reality unafraid. Read with me, Isaiah chapter 43, starting in verse 1, which says this, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, cushion, Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored. I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not. For I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Fear not. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, open our eyes to see. Because we readily admit, Lord, as we have gathered for worship here today, there are many concerns and many fears that are heavy upon us. 
fears that are associated with our lives individually, fears associated with our life as a church, fears associated with our time in society, Father, fears associated with all manner of things. Father, as we face reality, understanding the grandeur of your glory, Father, may we face it unafraid when we belong to you, when we know that you're with us. Father, dial down our fear and increase our faith. Father, we ask all of this in Jesus' mighty name and for his great glory. Amen. As we come to this passage, and really as we think about not only where we have been, so we can think about Isaiah chapter 40, and you can think about the grandeur of the glory of God, and just the magnitude of who He is, and the, the greatness of it, and how that was applied in our own lives, and the incomparable glory, and really enjoying who Jesus is, and thinking about Isaiah chapter 42, and a bruised reed He shall not break, and a gently floundering flax He will not quench. And you think about the details of His gentle might in our lives, and even if you went ahead and read the rest of Isaiah chapter 42. There's this call to worship and all the singing and praise that's going on there, and yet at the same time, there's this reality that so many who say that they worship the Lord actually don't. At the end of Isaiah chapter 42, what we find is that there are many people who are, as it's described in the text, blind and deaf. And what we're facing as we look at Isaiah chapter 43, as they sort of come down off of the mountain of all of what they've seen and the grandeur of the glory of God and everything else, it's like, okay, we still have to face the reality of exile. We're still going to get yanked out of our homeland and carried off to Babylon. What are we going to do about that? One, verse 1, we are reminded here. As God speaks, he says, but, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. It's as though in, in the midst of all of the competing voices that we listen to and all the voices that stoke so much fear, we need to hear God say, thus says the Lord. Quiet everything else down and listen to this. He who created you, O Jacob, this is who we're listening to. Of course, Jacob, of course, being a synonym for Israel, he who created them both in their physical existence, but also in their spiritual reality. We can see the same thing alive and at work in the church, right? We are created individually and physically by God, but we are also born-again believers, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, made alive in Christ, a new creation, as the New Testament describes it. He who created you, who formed you out of nothing, who put it all together, as he says, he who formed you, O Israel. And the word that he uses here for formed is really the, it's a word that was used for potters. He's shaping us. He who not only formed us, but he who all the way throughout our lives has shaped us for his glory. He is the potter. We are the clay. And with a craftsman's touch, he shapes his people for his glory. It's interesting, we tell stories about this when we talk about our own lives. We'll tell stories about things that went on when we were a child or, or some sort of difficulty that we had to overcome, and we'll use the phrase, that part of that made me who I am. Whose hand do you think was involved in that? 
as he's leading you and guiding you, even the hard things, even the difficult things, to pull away any notion of trusting in yourself or even relying upon others. Ultimately, it, it brings us to look to Christ and to rest in him that God is involved and that all these things that are going on, and you can think about it from the, the standpoint of the people of Israel, and you can think about it from your own standpoint, all these things that are going on are not meaningless. They're not just pointless interactions with fatalistic reality. It is God and his providence leading and guiding all things for his glory. We may not see it all at the moment, but we can trust the one whose hand is guiding it. He who formed you, O Israel. In the midst of the reality that hurts, as you're facing the reality of exile, as you're facing the reality of hardships, even as you face the reality of good things and joys and laughter and all of the ebb and flow of life. Because even in the good things, a lot of times we find ourselves so pessimistic, we're like, well, this is great, but it's not going to last. Well, this is, this is wonderful, but I'm sure it won't be here for very long. That's how we are about the weather. We are upset when it's sunshiny. We're like, man, it needs to rain. And then it rains. It's like, man, it's raining. I can't go outside. Listen to the Lord here. With all of your fears of reality that you are facing this morning, listen to the words of the Lord. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. The word, uh, even the, the phrasing here, when he says fear not, so you, you can look at the, the way the, the text is structured in Hebrew, and what he's actually saying is that this is something that he's reminding us and calling us to action repeatedly. This is not something where it's like, okay, we'll fear not, we'll get over it, we'll move past it. No, we need this in our minds all the time, because life stokes fear. We go home and we'll turn on the news, and we're like, oh, here we go again. Maybe you've had the circumstance where you go to the doctor and they may mention some vague, almost nothing possibility of what you might have, and you went home and you Googled it, and what happened? You freaked out. All the details of regular life can so stir up all our fret, whether that's in school or in work, or we'll worry about the future, or we'll worry about the past. We may have realistic fears. We may have unrealistic fears. Listen to the word of the Lord. Fear not. I have redeemed you. He meets our need. He is the reason we have no reason to fear. Him, He has redeemed us. He gave us what we need that we didn't even know we would ask for. He did it before we ever gave Him a thought. I have redeemed you. Because our, our need is bigger than sort of social betterment, or all these things. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are in bondage in our own sin, shackled in our lusts and our pride and our fear and our idolatry, and we are in darkness, dwelling in darkness, and in His grace and by his, for His glory, He calls us out of that. He redeems us. He purchases our salvation with Himself. Fear not. Because when, even when we start right there, when we think about the fears that are going on in our own lives, and maybe, you know, as you think about the, the changing reality, maybe your whole life has been just turned upside down because of loss, 
If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you have not lost him, and he will not lose you. As you think about all of what it may mean, maybe, maybe you're wrestling with the whole idea of following Christ and you're counting the cost and you're saying, this is going to have to change. If I'm going to repent from my sin and trust in Christ, I, this is all going to have to go away. Is he really worth it? Fear not. He is. He says, I have redeemed you. Redemption requires cost and redemption requires sacrifice. And even the word that he's using here is the same word that's used at the end of the book of Ruth in reminder of our kinsman redeemer, that we need one to become like us, to save us. One who would come and deal with the reality of of human flesh, would be tempted in every way as we are and yet without sin would die on the cross for our sin and rise from the dead and that by believing in him we would have forgiveness and everlasting life. And no, I couldn't afford this. See, so much of our worry is, I can't afford it, isn't it? Kids will come in, hey, I need this for school. Be like, too bad, can't afford it. You're looking at the grocery line and looking at other things and trying to figure out how it's all going to come together. I can't afford it. Look at our salvation. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can't undo what's already done. We can't undo our own sin nature, let alone our own sinful actions. Can't afford it. Guess what? Fear not. You didn't have to. Jesus has done it. I have redeemed you. What a wonderful reality we have in Christ here. Fear not, it's already paid for. He says, I've called you by name. You are mine. God calls us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He's the one who has the first initiative. He calls us out of darkness and into this marvelous light, and he calls us by name. Isn't it it amazing all the ways in which we avoid calling people by name? Maybe we've had an interaction in a, a little bit at first, and then, you know, you realize, I've seen this person three or four times, I should really know their name, but then you don't. And so we have all these sort of convenient dodges, like, hey, man, what's up? <laughs> hey, dude, right? Brother, yeah, that's a good church one. Sister, good to see you. You may know all sorts of details about their lives, and you may not have a clue in the world what their name is or how you're ever going to figure it out. God is not afflicted with that problem. God has no problems. He calls us by name. He knows exactly who you are. He knows exactly what has to be overcome, and He has already done it in Christ. That's how amazing He is. And when He calls you, you come. He calls you by name, calls you out of darkness, calls you into His redemption. And so when you hear, you respond. So fear not, because you're not forgotten. So much of the fear of the people of Israel is we're just going to get scattered off into Babylon and just thrown into the wind. And He's like, I will never forget one of my own. Fear not. I've called you by name. You are mine. Fear not because you belong to him. There is comfort when somebody claims you, isn't there? When somebody says, this is my wife. This is my husband. This is my child. This is my son, my daughter. What comfort it is to think that the one who created us who formed us, 
the one who holds the waters in the hollow of his hand and marks off the heaven with the span is the one who calls us by name and says, you're mine. If you belong to him, who's going to snatch you out of his hand? You see the hope in John chapter 10? No one can snatch you out of his hand. How do we know? Look how big his hand is. It's amazing. Look at him. Fear not. So as we think of all the things that we fear and all the things that we get entrenched in and all the things that we focus on, all the things that consume our minds, again, we, it's like we're right back where we started. Lift up your eyes and behold our God and fear not. So you can face reality when you pass through the waters. Verse 2, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned and the flames shall not consume you. The waters of distress and what pictures they are, water and fire, the waters of distress and waters of unfamiliar places. Because you can imagine along in the exile, what would they have to do along the way? They'd have to cross rivers. It would be like the little kid going as far as they ever have before. And then all of a sudden they see the water and it's like you wade through the water and now you're in a foreign place. You're in unfamiliar territory. So many unknowns, you don't even know what to do. That's where some of us are here this morning. It's unfamiliar ground. You never saw this coming. You never thought life would bring you here. And it's fearful. He says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. He's not saying if. He says, when. Life's circumstances will eventually humble you in some form or fashion. And here he is leading us and reminding us, look, when you pass through the waters, what? I'll be with you. See, it'd be reasonable to be afraid if it was all on you and all on your own strength, but for the believer who knows Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the Redeemer is the one who's with us. So as you're taking the next step and be like, I don't know if I can make it, you look up and you realize who's actually holding your hand and you say, okay, I'm with him. So you take the next step, you do the next right thing, as Elizabeth Elliot liked to say. Do you have him Do you know this kind of hope? Do you have this kind of assurance of His power to lead you, to guide you, to keep you? Because it very may be that when He leads you through these waters and your whole life feels like it's washing downstream and all you have is a realization that somebody caught you by your own hand, Can't you see in his mercy what he's done is draw you to himself? When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. The rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Again, fire as a metaphor for difficulty, for affliction and hardship and despair and doubt. And I mean, we even use phrases like, you know, you walk through some difficulty and you can say, I'm walking through the fire, right? And God does not lead us around these things. Notice he says, when you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. He who saves us is he who sustains us. 
But are you facing the fires that you have right now unafraid? Or as, even as he says, when you walk through the fire, the flames shall not consume you. Many of us have watched in overwhelming sadness at what has gone on in Hawaii over the past couple of days. As islands have burned to the degree that people had to flee into the ocean to get away from the fire. To wait for hours for rescue. And you look at all the footage at what, what once was so beautiful and solid and pristine and everything put together is just dust. We have seen this in life. These fires burning all around us. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you might feel the heat, but you will endure the fire and it will not consume you. And I have to wonder here as I read this, and we ought to wonder together as we read this, if the words of Isaiah chapter 43 were somehow bouncing through the minds of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That fiery furnace is lit, and it's lit up, and it's lit up, and it's blazing. And there they are, cast into the fiery furnace, having said, look, we're not going to bow to your idol. You can kill us, you cannot, whatever happens, our God may sustain us, and he very well may not. But he, we will not be consumed, and we will not follow your idols. And you got to imagine as they're walking around in there, and as Christ is with them walking around in there, the flames shall not consume you. Will not destroy you. God holds us fast. And you can think along in Daniel chapter 3, or you can think along in Isaiah chapter 43, or you can think along in your own lives. Even, if, even as Satan may light fires around us with the intent to destroy us, what God does is refine us and get the greater glory. Isn't that amazing? Isn't our God good? Isn't that reason for us to slow down, lift up our eyes, and fear not? Face reality unafraid when you belong to him. And he, he sets forth in verses 3 and 4 and really unpacks a distinction of belonging to him. He says, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. Because you're precious in my eyes and honored, I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. See, at the very outset, we should think, okay, well, let's remember to whom we belong. Not some pathetic idol on a post. To the Lord God Himself, the great I Am, the one who was and is and is to come. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Your Redeemer, your Rescuer, your Creator, your Sovereign Former and Shaper of your life. Your God, the Holy One of Israel. You think of Him being holy and all of the attributes that He has and all of His attributes are holy attributes because that's just a core part of who He is and holy in the sense of absolute moral purity and clarity and then also the holiness in the sense that His intent and His purpose is for His own glory because that's the greatest good. You think of that. Here He is, the Holy One of Israel. Who is that again? Your Savior. Save us from what? Save us from Going through the fire? No, that's not what he said. Save us from going through the waters? No, that's not what he said. 
Save us from our circumstances? No, that's not what he said. Save us from exile? No, that's not what he said. Save us from our sin. Save us from going through life and facing eternity without him. That's what he saves us from. Saves us from the justice that is due against our own sin. Because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we deserve God to exercise his justice upon us individually. Which means we have sinned against the highest authority that there is. And if you've sinned against the highest authority there is, then the punishment will be appropriate to the authority that has been pushed back against. And all of a sudden we realize just how awful a circumstance we have until we remember that God is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. What a wonderful reminder of our salvation in Christ that you belong to Him and you belong to Him forever. And then you look around at the other nations. You look around at unbelieving peoples. You realize they don't have what we have. Now, as we think about this and think about unbelieving nations, for Israel, they're looking at unbelieving nations. For us as a church, we're thinking of unbelieving peoples. We must make a distinction here. This has nothing to do with America, is what I'm trying to say. But as he makes this statement, he says, I give Egypt as your ransom, cushion, Seba in exchange for you. What is he talking about? Well, you can remember the distinctions of belonging to him. You can remember the distinction in the Exodus, in the Passover that took place. You can remember the way in which he saved and the way in which he exercised his justice. And you can see the distinction among the people. But you can see it in other places as well. You can read testimony of this in Isaiah chapter 20. The same thing happening with Egypt and Cush, and the Assyrians, instead of attacking the people of God, they're led off and they go off and attack the people of Egypt and Cush. You can read about this in other places as well. In Second Chronicles chapter 14, as Asa cries out, and there's the million-man army of the Ethiopians, and God rescues them. You can read in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37, which is also found in Second Kings chapter 19, this rumor of, and then The enemies are diverted, and then there's this enormous victory of the Lord. And then you think of God's might and authority, and they're thinking, as a believer walking into exile and the reality of what that means, we can remember all these things behind us. Is there anything laid out in front of us that will remind us? You can think about it in terms of the people of Israel walking in their exile. In 538 B.C., Israel would return. In 527 and 26 B.C., Egypt and Cush were obliterated by the Persians. Unbelieving peoples. It's this reminder that the immediate circumstances do not display the whole plan. And aren't we thankful here that just as the preview in the Exodus is this reminder of the mixed multitude and God's concern for the nations, God's global reach, look at what He's done in the church. We are a people from various cultures, various tribes, various nations, various tongues, various backgrounds, and God has brought us together in what? In our Redeemer, in our Savior, in the life that's found in Him so that we can stand arm in arm together as brothers and sisters and say, fear not, because you're precious in His eyes and honored, and I love you. We're precious when we belong to Him. We know the difference because 
You'll look at pictures of your own kids all day long. But if somebody else says, hey, I want you to look at pictures of my kids, you'll make it through about three before you're like, I got something else I got to do. It's precious, but think about that. We're precious in his sight. He looks at us and says, I love you. He already knows all the stuff that's going on. He already knows all the background. He already knows all the backlog. He already knows everything that you've done, thought, everything else. And he looks at you and says, I love you. And even still, God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing God we have. He gives men and in return for you and peoples in exchange for your life. Unbelievers face justice. Believers enjoy redemption. Fear not. We see the difference is whether or not we're confident in Him, isn't it? Do we trust Him or do we trust ourselves? Do we trust our own ideas of how this should work out? Or do we trust Him who's leading us and guiding us in all things? He says in verse 5, fear not for I am with you. And he goes on to describe gathering people right from the north and the south and the east and the west. He says, I'll bring your offspring. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up. I will say to the south, do not withhold. And again, this is what a wonderful reminder of God's redemptive reach. I don't care who you are or what your background is, where you're from, what language you might speak primarily, listen Christ is mighty to save. Cry out to him in faith and you will know salvation and forgiveness and everlasting life. Turn away from your sin and trust in him. He's saying, look, I'm going to gather my people from all over the place. His gathering power is unparalleled and without measure. No matter how far you may go, you're never outside of his reach. He says, I'm going to gather you. Because for the people of Israel, they're looking around and they're thinking about the, the next generation. Like, what's it going to be like for them? How's this all going to come together again? How is it that we could put it all back together? And God is saying, you don't have to worry about that. I am with you to sustain you here, and I am with you to call you back out and lead you home. The same is still true to this day. It seems so impossible that God could do this. And then we look around and say, look at what he's done. Look around, seriously, look around the room. It's amazing. Look at what we celebrate in Christ together all the time. Hear the declaration of the Lord. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring them, my sons and my daughters. He who is with you will be he who is with them. We see the significance of sowing the seed of the gospel in the next generation, of trusting in Christ, of knowing him. How discouraging it is when you're raising children and someone comes up to you and they look at you and they say, you know what, I can't imagine raising children these days. And you're like, thanks, right? 
What am I supposed to do with that? Wouldn't it be far more encouraging if somebody came up and said, you know what, the God who kept me, who sustained me, who held me all together through all the ups and downs and all the craziness and everything else is the same God who's going to keep you. The same God who's going to work in your own children and your grandchildren as well. Isn't that more encouraging? This is what God is leading us to here. He's saying, look, I'm going to bring my sons and my daughters from the end of the earth. He has done that in his church. That's a testimony to his saving power and his redeeming love that reaches outside the nation of Israel into all nations that we can enjoy together. Point them to the God who is with you that he never loses track and that the distinction is everyone who is called by his name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. His name. The only name given among men by which man can be saved is the name of Jesus. He has done it. He created us for his glory, called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light, formed us and shaped us and sanctified us, and made, as he says, whom I formed and made, the word gives the connotation of completion As we might say it in Philippians, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. So fear not. Face reality unafraid. But maybe you're here this morning and you are afraid. Maybe you're afraid of your own sin. Maybe you're afraid that your sin is so bad that there's no way God could ever forgive you. Don't discount the value of the death of Christ. The eternal Son of God lived in perfect righteousness, was tempted in every way as you are, and without sin went to the cross and died in your place. That all who repent and believe have forgiveness and life in His name. He endured the full outpouring of the wrath of God against our sin, saves us, raises us to new life, Because Jesus Christ himself is raised to new life. He is alive. Salvation is real. We can face reality knowing that the worst thing that can ever happen is death. Because Jesus lives. What are we afraid of? Fear not. Don't be afraid that you can mess this up. You can't mess up the grace of God. Don't be afraid that his love isn't enough. His love is enough. Don't be afraid that he couldn't redeem you. He has and he will. Don't be afraid of the future because of he who is with you and to he to whom you belong by faith. Trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and face reality unafraid. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would work a mighty work in our hearts and lives here. God, we have so many things that stoke the fire of fear in our hearts. And Father, we pray that as we pass through the fire that we would look and see who is with us and would rejoice in the depth of your own redemption in our hearts and in our lives. God, you are amazing. Father, we do pray that you would would carve into our minds this reminder of the great distinction between believer and unbeliever. And Father, for the person who is here, who has never trusted in Christ as Savior and Lord, may the reality of your justice bring them to repentance and faith today, that they may simply cry out to you, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Lord, that they would leave this place justified through faith in Jesus who died on the cross for their sin and rose from the dead. 
God, in all things in every way, we lay our fears down. We lift our eyes to behold our God. And Father, through faith in you, through knowing we belong to you, through knowing that you're with us, we cry out together, fear not. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.